Welcome inside the Carolina line with Al Wallace and Kevin Donnelly. I'm Stormy Bonantoni, and this is the show where we raise your football IQ and help you sound cool to your coworkers. And thank goodness, guys, because I am the farthest thing from cool. I need you. We're here to help. <laughs> Al and I got you. We got you. Because we're as cool as you can get. Well, no doubt. Ice cold. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> hey, and fans listening, if you think we're cool too, make sure that you give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think about the show. I know we have a lot of fun, but we want to make sure that you are too. We want to answer some of your questions as well. Um, a lot to get onto mm-hmm. this week after that third preseason game. Um, a lot of goals, I think, for the Carolina Panthers this week, one of which involving, of course, quarterback Cam Newton and making sure that he is able to use his feet. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And he came off, you know, it was it was tough to see him out there because I was so excited to see Cam Newton back on the field. And you're expecting some good plays. You know it wasn't going to be perfect. But to have uh, basically three possessions that he was able to get out there and really no points, not much productivity in terms of even first downs or time of possession and just – you know, what you're hoping for is, um, you know, I think we previewed it last week. The points wasn't so much the issue. You just want to see him move the ball 20 to 20 and, and make it look like a good operation. If you settle for a field goal, it's okay. Um, it's just you wanted them to get some work together, and he ends up tweaking the foot. And thankfully, it doesn't seem to be too bad right now. But, um, you know, that's something we'll have to keep an eye on as we go. Yeah. yeah I thought we all agreed that. Cam Newton probably should play this preseason game. We thought he would. Uh, we heard it early in the week that he was going to be out there. So I was excited. And I'm not disappointed in the injury. Of course, that's the worst-case scenario with this guy coming off of a shoulder surgery in the offseason. So to have him go out there, kind of tweak that midfoot a little bit, it's a little scary. Everybody's going to be watching now. I think we're going to all forget about the shoulder. I think he's proved that the shoulder is going to be okay. But how well is he going to be able to move? We know that his game is predicated on his ability to escape the pocket, move around, extend plays. And he was attempting to do that on that play Mm -hmm. and just came up a little gimpy. Yeah, so he had the, the two sacks on that one. It was the second sack, obviously, in which that midfoot sprain was suffered. But at practice, he was he was out of the boot. He wasn't doing anything just yet. But all signs point to him being able to go for week one. If he is ready to go for week one, what do you guys anticipate the game plan being for him, him being obviously the team's most valuable asset? I think, you know, it, it's all systems go, uh, basically – I think that injury was very minor. The fact he got out of the boot so fast that there was nothing conclusive with x-rays, and I'm sure they did MRIs and did the extensive look at it. So I feel like he's going to be ready week one, no matter what the press or the media or the coaches or whatever saying. Um, We know he's battled through a lot of different things through his career, not just the shoulder, but, you know, I mean, dude got hit by a truck and and rolled out and, and, (laughs) you know, and did whatever he did to his back or ribs or whatever the injury was. But, I mean, he's one of the toughest guys around. So I have no doubt he'll be ready for week one. And it seems like there's been no setbacks with the shoulder in terms of, you know, he has a, a few rest days during camp, but it wasn't anything where they kept him out an extensive period of time. So you have to feel like the shoulder's just in great shape. Um, you know, just we just worry about the rustiness, Al. I think that's the thing that you were kind of hoping that would work itself out in this third preseason game. And now I think that's the hard part because we're in this little limbo of, you know, we, we hope it's all okay. We think it's going to be all okay. But until we play against the Rams, we truly won't know. Yeah, you're not going to lose any sleep about Cam Newton's toughness or his ability to go out there even playing less than 100%. So I'm not concerned about that. It is the rustiness. It's his ability to go out there uh, and execute at a high level in this new offense with so many new parts, especially up front. And we'll get into the offensive line. But uh, Christian McCaffrey and, and what he's been able to do in protection and those receivers, the training camps they've been able to have. So it's going to be hard to execute, you know, you see things in training camp and they look sharp well you know the personnel on the other side of the ball Uh, there are limited uh, amount of defenses you learn that throughout the course of OTAs and training camp so what you want to do is make sure you go out there face a hostile opponent an opponent that'll absolutely drill you and we saw Kyle Van Noy take his shot at Cam Newton um, and perform so I mean, Aaron Donald's coming into town. That Rams defense has some explosive football players. It's a little scary to think that the next time we see number one out there, it'll be against 
It'll be back real. Back-to-back <laughs> defensive MVP. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. he's going to come after him. It'll be real. People coming for him. And, and while we're just talking about quarterback injuries, I know that this isn't a show where we necessarily address other, other teams so much and breaking them down, but I think this week especially – given we do have a quarterback that has had a couple injuries that we certainly talk about Andrew Luck and the, the shocking retirement that happened during their preseason game this week. While while he's on the sideline, you know, this information leaks and, and gets announced. Um, you know, after seeing that situation unfold, uh, how do you guys feel as former players thinking about the decision? I mean, that's such a tough decision to make and to say, I am not going to put my body on the line for this anymore. I love this game. It means the world to me. But at the end of the day, like, my life is more important. I think he said it the best. It's extremely difficult. Maybe the hardest thing he's ever made, the the toughest decision that he's had to make, getting up on that podium, um, being out on the field when this is leaked with his teammates in in the crowd, booze him as he comes off. I mean, respect. That's, that's the word that comes to mind, respect to Andrew Luck and the career that he put up. Uh, he was literally abused with, you know, a lacerated yeah. kidney and the concussions and the ankle and the shoulder surgery, and it's over and over again that he has some other options in life, that he had the courage and the foresight to say, hey, enough is enough. I can't do it anymore. And maybe if not physically, and we know the physical breakdown is taxing, but mentally we've all been there, just not being able to play 100% and feel like yourself and put the product that you want on the field. I mean, I have a tremendous amount of respect for Andrew Luck and his career. First of all, let's talk about the career, but um, his decision to walk away and say, hey, I have a lot of life to live after this and I'm going to give it my all away from the game and and make that tough, tough decision to leave. I was surprised, uh, like everyone was, um, that it it did come. But um, for me, I instantly kind of transported back to when I was a player. And we talked about injuries um, last podcast Mm -hmm. and some of the different stuff that we've been through. And what happens during your career is, you know, you come out of college, you're usually pretty healthy for a few years. um, And you saw that with his career. His first three or four years was just um, was great. And then the shoulder issue started. You know, for me, uh, one of the big first injuries I had was breaking my thumb and having some major surgery on my hand. So that was then something that's, that's kind of always there. And you, then I had a knee injury and had it scoped and um, then a neck injury. And some of these things were, they just start adding up and they don't just go away. Like you get them healthy and then you don't worry about it again, especially with my knees and my neck. They were kind of ongoing things that were always going to be there. And I always had to stay on top of it. It was extra time in the training room, getting there early, doing the exercises and different things they needed me to do. Sometimes it's, you know, there's a lot of inflammation and things in there. So you get stuff drained or they put you on anti-inflammatories and things like that. And I know it doesn't sound much, but when you start piling up some of those injuries and you have those things you're carrying in from season to season, you know, I'd got to about season eight or nine in my career and there was a lot of stuff piling up that I'd hope by maybe Friday I was feeling pretty good for that next game. And so I can kind of relate to him with being the most important position on the field, Mm -hmm. has this ongoing uh, ankle thing that's kind of been bothering him since April of the the offseason. And then, of course, with the shoulder reconstruction and everything he had done to that to get it back to where it needed to be, it's not just fixed and it's A-OK. It's just things that continually has to be rehabbed and and he has to spend time in the training room and extra time away from family trying to get those things done. And when you're the quarterback, everyone's counting on you. And if it's not feeling good or it's not in right or you're not in sync with what's going on, I mean – I think there's an intense pressure you're going to let teammates down. And I'll, I'll say this to end with that is, you know, for me being an offensive lineman, the, the difficult thing was it was the one position where someone's health is dependent on my success. And if I got my job done, that means running backs had holes to run through and the quarterback was protected. And you start to get to a point I did when I was 13 years into my career, uh, even though we just came off going to the Super Bowl and had a really good team with John Fox and, and Al Wallace and all these great guys on the team, I was done. It was just the mental part of it. I was I was just exhausted from it all. And um, you didn't want to be the reason that anyone got hurt. Yeah. And so um, for him being that most important position on the field, and if you know he felt like his game was going to diminish because he just mentally burned out or the the injuries have taken its toll, then I think it was the right decision for him and his team to it wouldn't be fair to him. And I think we're seeing more and more guys make that decision. They're they're taking control of their careers. I think I grew up in an era where it was. Not so much about being a tough guy, but you took pride. Like every time we talk about our careers, we talk about it in terms of how many years we played because, you know, I think 
the longer you play, that's like a badge of honor because we know how physical and how tough it is. And we did talk about the injuries and the things you go through. And Kevin touched on it a little bit, man. Some of these guys are doing extreme things with, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, painkillers and anti-inflammatories to stay out there. And it's just it's how we were raised up in football that you have to keep going no matter what and I, and I enjoy seeing the younger generation kind of say hey I have other options you know this guy has an architecture degree he's a very intelligent guy comes from a great family he is going to be fine he's made a hundred million plus in the NFL if it's time to go he can't do it anymore yeah hats off to Andrew Luck and he just spoke so eloquently yeah. in that post-game press conference even though that wasn't when it was planned for him to have that conversation to the public and to his fans and I just think what was so interesting about that whole thing was that you know it this wasn't a season-ending injury it wasn't a a career-ending injury by any means but it was something that that he just felt for himself and for his family and for his future that he needed to do and I think that takes so much knowing the people and the fans that he's going to be letting down in that area to be able to you know, say that this was something that he needed to do. But uh, again, this is a Panther show, so we will go back to talking about them Carolina Panthers. Mm. And since we're talking about injuries, though, I just wanted to go down the line really quickly with a list of kind of some some quick Panthers updates before we get to the review of that uh, third preseason game. Greg Little in that game was evaluated for a concussion after the game Thursday, but Ron Rivera said he is doing well. Graham Gano dealing with his knee. Coach said that if he is able to kick against the Steelers, then he will. They just don't know, so that's a little bit suspect and sketchy to hear because we don't want that, obviously. Vernon Butler did not play against the Patriots with a quad injury but was back out and suited up at practice Monday. Kevon Seymour has been out since the midway point of training camp with a hamstring, but he returned to practice this week. Of course, had that issue with the shoulder last year as well. Important for the depth in the secondary and in that same vein, Rashawn Galden back at practice after missing the trip to New England for a coach's disciplinary action. He was asked about that after practice Monday by reporters and he, he didn't comment on it, but said that he's back on track. So whatever it was, he, he's back on track, and he's apparently trying to get back in the good graces for whatever that was. Any any thoughts, feelings about that list, or did I miss any? Well, I you know, with, with Rashawn, I think that, um, you know, there's been a lot of competition for jobs in that back end mm-hmm. of the defense, and they're trying to find out where he fits in best with that. And I know as a player, he's on his second year. He has high expectations for himself, and I think he probably um, – you know, I bet about a lot of it probably dealt with frustration through that. We we don't know exact details of what happened, but uh, from what I heard, he, he walked off the field one day at practice last week, and then they made the choice to not bring him on the trip. Um, but I'm sure they worked that out internally. Coach Rivera has a great way. I mean, being a former player, he, he relates with these guys and understands a lot that they're going through with – with some of these other guys, like with Vernon Butler, it's it's a little worrisome. He's a guy that needs to prove he earns a roster spot on this team. Yeah, um, I, yeah you, we you, all know that Al's got his feelings about <laughs> Vernon Butler. You, you can't make the club in the tub. That's the old saying. And and I think he has a lot of work to do. But I haven't um, heard that saying. I like that. <laughs> he is a big physical guy, and, and he needs to be there. He needs to continue to uh, put – work on film and this this staff and, and Marty Herney and those guys they need to continue to evaluate Vernon to see if that if he can help this football team so a lot of guys are in this position some of those injuries we talked about you know you don't bat an eye uh, over it because you know it's that time of year and it's been a grind it's been five weeks now you're going into week six of the preseason uh, last preseason game coming up here on Thursday night against the Steelers and guys are going to get a little banged and bruised and what you want to do is make sure um, you know all the guys that you're going to be counting on down the stretch there throughout the course of the season are ready to go. Well we're going to dive into that offense first but first off before we even get to that just overall impressions from that last preseason game obviously other than you know it wasn't pretty (laughs) what else do you guys got for me? I mean just just disappointing. I mean, you you expect so much more from this team, and I think we all going into training camp looked at the roster, looked at some of the new wrinkles, and and looked at what they were doing down in Spartanburg, and you wanted that to translate to these preseason games, and it just hasn't. You know, DJ Moore and, and Curtis Samuel, I mean, they've been average. And they've been average, I think, because of some of the quarterback play. And that offensive line, man, we – I mean, we penciled all those guys into the Hall of Fame because we just haven't had those types of names, that type of talent, uh, you know, compiled on one group in a very, very long time. So uh, they haven't played up to expectation. And we'll get into some of the reasons why that might be so. Um, and then the defensive end, new 3-4, 
new new look, new scheme, and it just uh, it's been a little soft, especially against the run. And you go into every football game, the first goal, the first must do is stop the run in the NFL. If you start getting gashed by the run, you're going to start getting gashed in the play action pass game. And this team hasn't looked good against the run, so uh, just disappointing. I think they need to get it together. You won't see it. This Thursday, the the starters will probably not be in there long, if at all. And then we're, fingers crossed, waiting for the Rams game to see if they can stop that high-powered offense. Yeah, I think with um, the offense and defense, you know, it all starts up front. And I think that's where some of the most work needs to be done as a team and as a unit. And I think that um, with the defensive side, there's some great pieces. But working in the young guys, you know, Marquise Haynes and Brian Burns and um, trying to get those guys some looks and trying guys at different positions. You know, F.A. Abada is kind of lining up in a different spot, trying to learn a new way. It's kind of an end in that 3-4 type of scheme. And then offensively, that offensive line, just it needs reps together. And I think not getting a ton of those um, last Thursday night was, was difficult because that's where you start to build that trust. And you even heard Matt Parrott say it after the game. He was talking about, you know, I'm still trying to build trust with the guys that are playing next to me, that when I make a call – they understand the call and are going to live with the call because they understand that, you know, I've studied this. I know what I'm doing. You need to count on me that, that I'm going to put you in the right position at the right time. And so, you know, for me, I didn't see a lot of guys just getting beat right off the snap of the ball. It was more, um, I think, some of the communication and a little bit of footwork and where everybody needed to be that caused some, uh, I think, just little gaps in there that provided uh, opportunities for pressure and getting, you know, in Cam's face and not giving them a whole lot of time. Really, the the worst one was a you know a blitz from the outside that beat Manhurts, but if you watch the film, it was I don't know if any tackle could have blocked him in that situation. The get off that he had and the jump on the snap, he, he looked like he was almost offside. So uh, it was just a really unique situation that um, you know Manhurts got beat, but I, I don't expect that to happen a whole lot. I I think that going into what I was saying is, you know you you just wanted to come out of this game feeling like whether you win it or lose it. You saw some good productivity on the offense and defensive side. Defensively, there was a lot of good plays. There was some pressure, got some sacks from Brian Burns, um, seeing some other guys step up in, in their opportunities. It was good. I think we're both feeling a little bit left uh, because of the offensive output and it's been that way for two weeks now so that's the disappointing thing that we came off of so let's definitely dive into that offense then you already did a good job touching on the offense but if we could dive a little bit deeper into that o-line situation you know it's it seems so uncharacteristic just the way that that core group broke down so many times in that first drive when you, you see cam out there just just struggling you know what i mean just trying to get any time that he possibly can and tries to make a play but this is just not there what was going on well, it's, it's a combination of things. When you really break this down, you know, to, to give detail on it, um, you know, he got hit several times, just threw the ball six times, you know, completed four of them, which, which is a good stat. <clears throat> but I think the flip of that is that, you know, right off the bat, one of the first plays, he got knocked to the ground. And, you know, you don't even want to see anyone near him in a game, especially in the preseason, you're trying to protect him. Uh, New England did run some blitzes. And um, we did a good job of, of matching up a couple of times to protect against the blitz, to give them time to throw. No one won downfield. You know, no one was wide open. No one at least had a little break on something that Cam had somewhere to throw. You could see that, you know, we got it protected up front between the backs and the offensive line, stopped the blitz. He could only hold it for so long. He could only hold it for so long, and, and that might have been the covered sack where he end, ends up just taking a, you know, going to the ground on that one. So when you look at it as a whole, it was everybody contributed to that performance. You know, maybe Cam could have read something quicker. Maybe a receiver could have gotten off a break a little sooner, had something a little cleaner, maybe looked, you know, understood that a blitz was coming. They needed to get open quicker. It's hard to really figure out exactly where the breakdown was, but this is what we were talking about. It was a little bit out of sync, and you just wanted this to, to be a little cleaner performance in some ways, even if it's just short when the starters are in there, so you feel good about it. Um, they definitely have some work to do, and it's concerning. I think the offensive line needs to improve. I think that you know a lot of the stuff that looks so good coming out of camp and we've been hearing about practices and seeing the videos and things like that, that needs to show up in the games. And for whatever reason, couldn't get that done Thursday night against the Patriots. Did you ever have a situation where there's, you know, there's all this optimism around a certain group and then it's the first time where everybody's out there with an opportunity to perform together and it just, it just wasn't there? 
Yeah, it, it happens more frequently, especially in the preseason yeah. than you think. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's some of the timing and the execution, right? So when you're in training camp, and this may be a, a strictly defensive end perspective, but if we're doing, you know, a team drill and it's just, you know, first group against first group or ones versus the twos, and I'm, I'm a defensive end, I beat my tackle, the play doesn't stop if I get to the quarterback, right? So I have to fly by, I have to give one of these fake chops and – um, you can't touch the quarterback, so you steer clear of them. Well, they get to finish the play. So some of those plays, if you go back and watch them in training camp, those deep balls, I mean, he has forever in the day to throw the ball. Guys are flying past and tagging off. But, they get, you know, if you do that, then it's going to disrupt practice. It's going to disrupt that script that they have, those 15 or 20 plays uh, in a period of practice where you just have a, a dead play, they're not going to let that happen. So they let them complete the play. And I I believe some of that is false sense of confidence when you can go into practice and you can execute far beyond um, an actual play. When you get in the game, I mean, it's real time. You get real pressure. You're going to be on the ground in real time. And you never see some of those things develop. Those receivers have a, a half an extra, you know, two seconds to get past a defensive back. It makes a difference. And I think that's the difference between, and the young guys are learning this more than the veterans, between a practice tempo and a game tempo. And, man, let me tell you something. Kevin knows this. They're going to turn it up come September 8th when they play the Rams. I mean, they're going to, you know, get after each other um, and, and go at it. It's, it's going to be full speed. So the tempos change. The timing of the execution has to change. And just haven't seen the Panthers kind of catch up to that yet. Well, and you, you both touched on the receivers. And, you know, you said, Kevin, how they weren't able to get quite that separation. And, and you guys also touched on how, well, Cam Newton really wasn't giving them the ball in the great places. Same thing with the other quarterbacks that were in. They weren't really giving the receivers opportunities. How much is this still trying to get the rest off at this point since it, it is kind of like hit or miss with people? getting in there in the games well I th I think with with Cam and and those receivers I think they do have good chemistry that's mm -hmm. built they've worked on it over time I, I think that that will be uh, something that will look good when they walk out there to play that first game I think it's not a switch that's going to flip on but I think they can crank it up to level 10 um, <laughs> because they all have experience in this league they've made big plays when we've needed them to make big plays especially Cam Newton so I have a lot of confidence in that I think uh, where you start to worry a little bit is, um, you know, just in terms of this offense and, and getting in sync in terms, you know, these guys, it, it just doesn't happen overnight. So I, th I just want to kind of hedge the fans a little bit here in terms of saying, look, keep your expectations down a little bit because I think this is going to be a work in progress with this offensive line and the defense. And we'll get to the defense in a minute. But, you know, you, you've got a couple of new pieces there on the offensive line. Um, it just sounds real easy, like, oh, we've been at camp. They should be bonded. They should be this and that and all that. But it's just it's so many moving pieces out there with what they're trying to work on and evaluate players. It's just difficult right now. Um, I, I think the receivers would be just fine. Mm -hmm. uh, I think they'll get some good work in. I was a little surprised. I didn't think, you know, Christian McCaffrey turned in one of his best performances. Um, he wasn't in there a whole lot, but um, and had a couple of nice carries and had a nice run on a draw play. It was third and 15, so – some of that was, I'd say, kind of cheap yardage. You know, you, you kind of threw in the towel when you call a draw on third and 15. Soft defense, yeah. They're, yeah. they're playing to the, the sticks. They're but, not going to give up the first. Um, could, it, could have been better on a block, let his guy off late. That caused a, a hit on Cam Newton. And then dropping a, a ball, like he never drops a ball. I watched him in pregame and even put it on my Instagram. This guy's out there catching one-handed, you know, these mm -hmm. bullets from Pete's the uh, – the running back coach, and they're just sticking to his hands, every one of them, just catching every single one. And then he's got an easy one. It's just right in the bread basket there. And I think just pressing a little bit. They, everyone wants the offense to produce. He wanted to probably get downfield before he actually secured that ball. We've seen it a whole lot of times. Yeah, it's protection. You know, Paradis, you know, talked about his guys and, and having that trust. And then, you know, you've seen a lot of protections where Christian McCaffrey is responsible for a, for a screaming linebacker right up the A-gap. He has to stick his nose in there, and it sounds like a repeat of last week when I talked about, you know, how much I enjoyed seeing a running back having to block me one-on-one. -on -one. You should win those. I mean, we love what happened to Manhurts. If I'm a defensive end and I see a tight end, I go against 330-pound 
offensive linemen all the time. So to see a tight end or to see a running back, you feel like you should win that matchup 90% of the time. So, you know, they're going to have to figure out some things, and that's just getting that line in the right protection and getting them oiled up on who they're supposed to have if, when it's blitzes or, you know, guys are moving. Um, I think they're going to be fine. It just takes some time, but we're running out of time because they're not going to get a lot more snaps, not, there. not more live snaps next time they get out there. You're going to be learning on the run in, in, in a real regular season game against the defending NFC champs. So it's going to be difficult. It's going to be a challenge. Well, Stormy, now, you know, since we're on offense, um, I think there's bright spots. Yes. I think there's things that I really have liked. Um, I, you know, we, we kind of got the bad out of the way here. Um, I love Almost all of the bad. Well, we're gonna we're gonna transition now to the good because I can't take it, man. I'm Mr. Positive. I'm trying to keep it on the yeah. right side. It's like you just you very calmly just ignored Kyle Allen and Will Greer's performance. Oh man, yeah. I don't, you know what? It's probably been talked about a whole bunch, and they they need to improve. I, what yeah. I want to talk about is, um, you know, for me, I've enjoyed watching this running back battle unfold. For yeah. who's going to yeah. be the guy that can help give Jordan Christian. Scarlett and Reggie Bonifon have been fun. That that has been a joy. I think that uh, Bonifon has blown me away. Coming from a guy that was undrafted out of Louisville, uh, kind of in the shadow of Lamar uh, Jackson. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Lamar Jackson up there. Um, winning the Heisman and doing all the crazy stuff that he's been doing, and now he's in Baltimore. I just think that he was overshadowed. He's kind of a, a jack-of-all-trades, and we've seen that during this preseason, whether it's uh, running the ball to the outside, inside. He can. Um, he has the toughness. Uh, he's not the biggest guy, but he, he knows how to get skinny, to get those extra yards, to keep falling forward. Great with his hands. He's caught a lot of balls this preseason, uh, which has been great. I think almost 100 yards in receiving, and that's limited time. You know, It's not like full games that they're playing. And then also, you know, you mentioned with Jordan Scarlett, I love his toughness. Um, I think he's not afraid to stick his nose in there, to run right up the middle. If there's nothing there, try to get what he can. He, I don't see him dancing around a lot, trying to pick a hole. He just makes a decision and goes. Um, he's caught a couple of balls out of the backfield. You know, he, uh, under the lights in, in that game situation, he's been able to, to execute plays. And so it's just been fun watching those guys develop. And they're going to get a ton of reps this week against the Steelers. It's another battle. Like, who's that guy that when, when Christian needs to tap out for a play or two or, or just get someone else in there or even go a two-back set, which they've done in the past with, um, uh, you know, with different guys in the backfield there as running backs that, you know, his first year with Christian McCaffrey was splitting time with, with Jonathan Stewart. Um, I think there's merit to that when you got two guys in there. One can be a decoy. The other one can absolutely make some big plays. We saw – I'll go here. Last year with uh, Fozzie Whitaker, I believe. Um was it the preseason before? I don't know. Mm -hmm. They threw uh, a couple of nice passes to Christian McCaffrey. Then they came off of that and threw a little throwback screen yeah. to Fozzie, I believe, who scored a touchdown off. It might have had a two the same way during that season. Um, but that just shows you. Reggie Bonifant's a guy that can absolutely do that job. Um, I think that he's got the speed and the quickness and the athletic ability to complement Christian even when they're in the game together. Um, so it's been fun watching those guys. I feel like however it works out, um, that's been really nice to see. I want to be a fly on the wall in that room. You know what I mean? Just to see like what the coaches are thinking about as they try to evaluate those players, because I feel like so many of them have been pretty evenly matched throughout this preseason and who's going to get the nod, who's going to be the one to make the team. Yeah. I think it's, it's tough. If you're a fly on the wall, what you see is a, uh, a staff that is probably, you know, banging their heads against the wall and, and having to make that decision. It comes down to that this time of year with a week left, um, before, you know, final cuts are, are going to have to be issued. And I think Reggie Bonifon's a guy whose stock has, has risen more than anybody on this football team in my eyes because of the electric performances that he's been able to have. I mean, it's a guy that does – he does everything. He does everything well. And I just remember watching him last year when he didn't get any playing time. Um, and we're there pretty early. I mean, we're there in a production meeting at the stadium, 930. And this guy, they, they're out there. He's catching balls. He's – fielding punts. I mean, he does it all. No one is working harder than him at his craft and being available and being around for those guys. That's translated to the football field this preseason. He's really done a great job. Uh, Jordan Scarlett, again, no-nonsense guy. He's one cut. He's going to square up his shoulders. And he's going to pound you. If he can't go around you, he's just going to put his shoulder down. And that, that's the kind of running back you like. He's going to get those tough yards. I think they really have a solid group and I mean, you can't say uh, you know enough of what Holyfield has been able to do this this preseason, and also Cameron Artis Payne is a guy that 
you know, and this conversation is, is kind of fading, but the thing on his side is he's a veteran running back, a guy I think they can trust. And Ron Rivera is a former uh, football player, and those kind of guys, just like John Fox, they like veterans. He loves vets. Yes. They love stability. <laughs> but while we're talking about some of the, the bright spots, let's transition to defense. And I don't know if there's been a star shining any brighter this preseason than Brian Burns. He had another two-sack performance, four of them in the three preseason games so far. What has he been doing so well the way he's been able to just constantly have this knack to get to the quarterback? The same thing that got him drafted 16th overall and was a star at Florida State. He just has an ability to get to the quarterback. It's never pretty. Um, some of those moves are exciting and explosive, and you see the, the first step. This guy's getting chipped. They don't show that all the time. He's getting chipped. They're lining up tight ends over him. They were not going to let him get a free rush one-on-one against Tom Brady when he was in there with that first group. Uh, but he's found a way to get to the quarterback, and he's going to continue to do that all season long. He has a nose for the ball. Obviously, his ability is, is just through the roof. Um, but five tackles, so he, he proved that he can do it in the running game. Uh, screaming down the line and, and very disciplined on his backside reads as a defensive end. He's just done an outstanding job. He's going to get bigger and stronger, not too big, um, but he's going to get stronger as, as he grows and progresses through his NFL career. He's going to be able to do a lot more things. But I think with the guys in front of him and Mario Addison and Bruce Irvin, they're going to allow him to come in and spot duty, situational football, and just light it up. I mean, this guy has been the absolute star of that defense from a production standpoint. Not all perfect, doesn't do everything right, but when you need a big play, we saw that, strip, sack, fumble, I mean, He's going to be able to produce, and that's what you need. You need a guy to get the ball back, to stop a drive. Drive stops are huge. Uh, defensive coordinators, defensive coaches, they they uh, they grade those things. Who can be a drive stopper, a guy we can put on the field to get us off the field when it's third and long and we need a play? And I think he's shown all the tools that you want, even though he's young in his career. He's yeah. got areas to improve, but – taking on the fullback Devlin and shutting him down to squeeze the play and, and keep it to a, a very minimal gain, that's big time to me because they're talking about might not be as big or as needs to be or as strong as he needs to be. That's one of the best fullbacks in the league, and um, he is a powerhouse, and he did a good job on him. Uh, I think the athletic ability that you spoke of is off the charts, and for me what I absolutely love when I'm watching the film is that um, he always shows up on the tape. He's always near the ball. He might not be the guy tackling, but – He's just a constant guy in terms of hustling, trying to get there and trying to make an impact. And you saw, you know, he just didn't give up on that play where he got the strip sack and he used his speed and athleticism. He didn't pause or anything. Some guys will kind of look, oh, it's still going on. I need to get over there. Um, he's just – his first reaction is to just get to the ball as quick as possible, and he makes plays. He made one uh, play where he came all the way across the field to make the tackle on the other side to keep it from being a much bigger gain. Could have gone another 10 yards if he hadn't been involved in that. And, and I just love seeing the hustle. And I think when you've got those two ingredients where you've got a guy that's gifted like he is um, and is willing to learn, and then you complement that with a guy that's just a worker and is relentless uh, in his pursuit of trying to, to get ball carriers and quarterbacks down on the ground, a great combination. It's going to be fun to watch him develop over the year. I thought it was pretty cool hearing him talk about his relationship with his brother. Um, and he obviously used to be a defensive end in the league and how he learned the things that not to do and the things that he saw his brother do that he liked, he does better. And, like, that's kind of how, how his line has been, that he just compares himself to, to his brother a little bit and learns from his brother. But the bad things he didn't want to do and the good things, his goal was to do better. And I think Al could probably, you know <laughs> – that's the hardest part about the league, I think, is learning what not to do. And, you know, it comes down to just, you know, do I show up to a meeting five minutes early? That's not good. Don't do that. You know, <laughs> you learn quickly that meetings can start early. And it's just little things like that. But um, I think having that valuable resource of his brother, and you've talked to his brother. I know he's on the sideline. Yeah, it was on with the last us last game. week. Yeah, he's oh, so cool. proud. He's decked out in, in number 53 jersey and hat. He's so proud of his little brother. And I think it was Stanley 13, Glover, yeah, by the way. I don't Stan know if I actually said Stanley his name. McGlover, yeah. <laughs> he, 13, years, 13 years ago, Stanley was a teammate of mine, uh, drafted, I believe, in the sixth round here with the Carolina Panthers. So to watch his brother kind of go through the process, to grow up, um, we're all impressed by the athletic ability. That that jumps off the screen. But what I did not know and what I've learned so far through three preseason games is his football IQ is amazing. The play you're talking about, talking about where he folds back again and strips the quarterback and, and, and turns it over, 
he rushes to quarterback depth. That you know, you think you're a wild man at the end, and you just rush and you're going around the corner. Well, he's smart enough or understands the game at a high enough level that when he got to quarterback level that he just he stops you don't run over the top of a quarterback because you're going to create a an escape lane so learning from his brother having his brother in his corner talking about the pitfalls and the traps that are out there in the nfl things to do and obviously a lot of things uh not to do uh as you go through this journey it's just been invaluable for him and, and i'll add one more thing that you know we did talk about areas where there's there's needs to communicate better and play better as a team um it, it can be done and you're seeing some growth in some areas like the way fa bada and yeah. burns work to get together um to me fa Took the opportunity, Vernon Butler not getting you know reps. He was had the sore quad and not being there. That meant more for FA. FA played a ton and made some impact on a lot of plays. And for one of those sacks, it was a TE game that FA called out, said, "Hey, you know, we we might get this thing going here. I'm going to drive out to the B gap really wide. That leaves you the opportunity to come underneath." They executed it. You didn't see you know a lot of talking or confusion from them. They just lined up, had a little signal or whatever they communicated to each other, and boom. Instant sack for Burns as he comes screaming on the inside and gets that uh, quarterback down. So that's the positive. That That's what we're talking about in terms of the communication and, and building that camaraderie between the guy next to you that, um, you know, F.A. knew the assignment. He had to take over the outside. He had to contain everything. If he's going to rush outside like that to open up the middle for Burns coming around, he better make sure his assignment's um, done. And he did that because it left nowhere for the quarterback to go. Yeah, he's done a great job of – I look at his effort and energy, and he looks about 25 pounds bigger this year. I've often talked about a lot of guys playing kind of out of position for body type. Well, he's a guy that, again, has just evolved into whatever he needs to be to make this football team, and you'll never be able to coach the energy and the effort that he puts out on the field and that relationship, that communication that they're starting to form form on that defensive line. It's just great. It's the reason why they're racking up pretty big numbers in the sack game 25 pounds that's a lot of obata that's a lot of muscle <laughs> he is huge right now <laughs> no great great to see and i know there were a couple other areas like we, we know that there's the struggle so far in moving into that three four a little bit and i want you to dive deeper on that but first and foremost there were some other bright spots as well i know you guys like the the effort from a couple of those players in the secondary as well yeah ross cockrell is a guy that you know because of so many bodies being out <clears throat> that he's had to step in and play some cornerback and and coach rivera talked about the effort that he gave out there just a consistent guy and when he was brought in last year, um, that's one of the reasons why. A guy that you can count on, he's going to be consistent, he's going to be assignment perfect. Uh, he's he's proved to be able to do that. Now, is he going to play nickel you know, down the road, or is he going to make this football team and, and be on the outside and play corner? I don't know. Is it going to be some safety? But he's been very produ- productive and very consistent, and that's what you want to see. A lot of those guys, especially in the secondary, have really stepped up, and we know – Galden wasn't there, but he's been one of the most explosive players from the back end that they've had in blitzing and getting to the quarterback um, and making tackles, very physical tackler. So I'm going to be excited to see him. He's, he looks to get a lot of reps this this coming Thursday. You know those guys are going to play a bunch, and everybody's fighting for a job. That's what time of year it is, and it gives me goosebumps because – I was there. I understand that challenge. And, you know, maybe having 30 or 40 reps to go out there and make a dream come true. It's the, it's the best time of the year. Then it turns into one of the saddest days on cut days. I know. And, uh, you know, a couple other guys, while you're talking secondary, I thought that I know they're starters, but Bradbury and, and Dante looked really good. More and more solid. Um, with Bradbury, a couple of really, I mean, really great coverage, a couple of nice pass breakups there. And um, you can just see him growing, continuing into his fourth season. And then with Dante – He's small. He's not the biggest dude, but he's so lightning fast and is not afraid to go in there full speed and, and just made some great tackles. Um, we've seen it this preseason already, and in this particular game, you know, cut off one. It was a screen pass or something to the outside yeah. or a quick one to the receiver, and he closed the gap so fast and violently brought the receiver to the ground. That's what you want, some mm-hmm. toughness back there, a little bit of, you know, you just create a – an aura of just, you know, like what Seattle had a few years ago. And I think this group could have that makeup between, you know, I think Trey Turner and, and I mean, uh, Trey Boston and, and Dante Jackson, they, they talk a lot. They bring a lot of swag to that. I think that's going to kind of set the tone of what that group will look like. And with some really solid players you had in Cockrell, if he can be a great backup and a guy that can fit in there somewhere. And then with Seymour coming back, a guy they're really high on, just been set back with some injuries. 
this there could be so much more depth this year than we've had in a long time, and that's just that's a blessing for this team because in a pass happy league, you got to have as many guys that can cover. You you got one weak guy, they're just going to line up in three wides or four wides all game and expose, and you feel like we've got some guys that can cover back there now. Three names I want you guys to tell me your honest thoughts on: mm. Gerald McCoy, Luke Keekley. And Shaq Thompson, what were your guys' thoughts in in the amount of time that we got to see them? Well, you know, there's such high expectations. We know what they are. We know what they are. Okay, I want to preface with that. We know what they are. Gerald McCoy, right? And and I mean, he's big. I mean, he's a big physical defensive tackle. And you, you watch him get off, and he he changes the line of scrimmage. He's in the backfield. His performance for me has been just pedestrian, and I think some of it I'm going to attribute to the scheme. I mean, none of these guys are used to playing in this. And uh, Gerald McCoy is a three-technique, penetrating, shoot-the-gap, just take-off type of guy. And in this defense, when you do that, you create running lanes. And when you create running lanes, you also free up offensive linemen to get to the second level. And now they're on your all-world middle linebacker who, you know, for me, Shaq Thompson, Luke Keekley in this defense – they're going to be required to kind of butt up offensive linemen, stick them in the hole, and shed them away. And not so much, hey, I know I have the B gap. If the play's going strong side, I'm going to just run and take my B gap. When they do that in this 3-4 defense, it has created some some gashes, some running lanes that have been exposed in these preseason games. So I don't fits. know. Yeah, yeah, I don't know the, the scheme, run. but the run fits just haven't been – they haven't been what I, I thought they would be. And uh, and another part of it is up front. Because these guys aren't the big, hulking defensive tackles that you normally see in a 3-4, they're being uh, asked to slant and take gaps. You know, uh, slant meaning go inside, pop meaning go to the gap on their outside. So when they do that, if they don't get it right, and they're not just guessing, they're it's, it's a predetermined call, pre-snap call. If they don't get it right, man, everybody is out of sorts, and everybody's running – around in different directions and if one person is off a fraction of a step on their run fit it's a it's a running lane it's a huge huge running lane and and any good running back is going to gash them so these guys are good don't get me wrong kk short mccoy uh shaq thompson and luke i mean they're not the biggest linebackers in the world when i think three four linebackers I think 250-pound, 260-pound guys that aren't afraid. I mean, they're just glorified nose guards that can really punch it in there on the offensive guard. These guys are not built like that. They're not going to do that. So they're either running over the top of blocks or trying to sneak behind. And we've seen Luke Keekley be the master of that. He understands where it's going. He's going to shoot a gap. Now they're getting captured trying to do that. And until they get that ironed out, Todd Gurley's coming to town, man. It's, it may not be pretty. I am and, extremely interested to see and how I can that plays give, out. I can give the offensive line perspective on exactly what Al's talking about, is that um, when you line up as an offensive lineman and those linemen are moving all over the place, meaning you know they're going to slant one way or the other and try and control the gap, um, that can be extremely tough. But the, the fine line that they need to remember, and I know they're getting coached up on this, and it's something that they have to keep working on, is, yeah, you might slant to that B gap, but then you got to stay in that B gap and, and control that gap and control the player that's trying to move you out of that gap. And what I saw a couple times is as they're slanting, they're going that way, they're initially there in the B gap, but then they're allowing those linemen to kind of widen them a little bit. That just makes that hole maybe just a foot wider. And then that's just more space for Luke Keekley to have to navigate to try and get those tackles. How do and they allow Shaq. that? Momentum. Momentum. Okay. Yeah, because yeah. They're, they're darting a, f- a full direction. And as offensive linemen, it's like, oh, you want to go that way? I'm just going to keep pushing okay. you wider and wider and wider and get you that direction. The hardest is when they hit a gap and then start jetting up field. And that's when the, the penetration really can just blow up a, a play completely. Um, it, it cuts down on cutback runs because there's nowhere for them to cut back to if someone's penetrated up field on the front side of it. That messes up the timing of the blocks in terms of double teams and getting up to that next backer. If someone just, you know, pinches a gap and then goes up a little bit too wide on that thing, that's easy to push off, say, onto the tackle. Okay, I'll take that guy over. That leaves the guard to go up to the backer and be able to front up. And that's what we saw some with Luke Keekley was, you know, there was so much space and then he's kind of taking a shoulder to, to protect one area, but that leaves the other side where he didn't take. And I don't, I'm not sure if he needs to, to learn to just butt up and, and just man up and just stop that right there and depend on help to seal those other gaps. 
Uh, I'm not a defensive coordinator, so I can't speak to the exact schemes that they're running. Um, I can't know what's going on in those meeting rooms with who has who. But I think Al's right on the money that something's just a little bit out of sync with this, that they run stop, they run stop, and then suddenly it's a six-yard gain. Or, you know, it's a two-yard gain, then an eight-yard gain. And, you know, we're used to seeing this team be really stingy on the run. And I think some of that's come out of this new defensive scheme. And that's why it's going to take a little time. I think the players are there. The pieces are there. The coaching's there. It's just you can't, you know, click your fingers and it's just going to happen overnight. Yeah, when you watch this defense, uh, particularly the line and the linebackers in the running game, there's a lot of guys on blocks, on shoulders, right? As a defensive lineman, the worst thing I could possibly do is is – in a rip move, like riding, like offensive lineman riding me on my shoulders. You look, you look at the draft, and you hear about uh, attributes that make up uh, the perfect defensive end or defensive tackle. It's long arms, and the reason why is because you want to use those big hands, those long arms, to keep those blockers off of your body. They're bigger than us by nature, bigger. Um, not necessarily stronger, but bigger, hey. <laughs> right? So they're bigger guys. <laughs> but if I'm letting them wash me on a move, I'm lined up on Kevin. If I'm just here, the sin of a defensive um, coordinator is we cannot give up one-for-one one blocks, right? One-for-one, one, like we said, Devlin on an iso play is coming to block Luke Keekley. Sure, he has to hit him with his left shoulder. They scheme that because there's going to be a safety coming up behind him that's going to have the next gap. So those are what we call run fits. But if he just concedes that, just rips in there and shoulders that thing up and gets washed, I mean, you're just, you're just giving up a body. Yes, I did my job, but I didn't make a football play. And all coordinators, all defensive line coaches, linebackers coach, want you to play football. And as a defensive lineman, 10 years in the NFL, the one tool that I had – um, that I needed the most was the use of my hands. If I'm slanting and ripping and shouldering up to every block, I cannot use my hands, one, to keep myself from getting washed, and two, how do I get off the block to make a tackle? Well, you need your hands to shed and make a tackle. No hands, there's no way to get on that tackle. The ball has to run into you. Because Stormy, 99% of the time, everybody's blocked initially for that first second of a play. Mm-hmm. It's – the good defensive linemen are the ones that can shed that block and and get rid of that blocker or, or keep him at bay in terms of, yeah, we're, we're stalemated right here, but I got my hands in a position that as soon as that ball carrier gets near me, I can rip that away. And that, that's what's tough for the offensive linemen. You know, you think you got a guy, but really he's got you under control because he's got his hands where he wants them, and you're driving, you're trying to move him, and then suddenly he just sheds you, you know, gets rid of you, and you're face planting on the ground, and he's making the tackle. And that's what you kind of want to see. There was just a little more violence with the hands and helping those guys um, to, call, to cause disruption in some of those gaps that would help Luke Keekley and, and Shaq and those backers to make more tackles. Because yeah, those, those guys only had three tackles, and they played almost a half of football. That's crazy combined. That's crazy. Yeah. And I know you don't like this, but one of my favorite things during games is to watch the slow-mo of just a close-up on one of those really good sheds where the guy's just down. It really – like, come on, it looks cool. It's not cool when it's you, yeah. but it's cool. Um, and but just one last thing in regards to the New England game – I can't let you out of here without telling us a very uh, interesting story in your experience in Foxborough. Well, this this I was thinking about it and going back to that stadium. It was the first time since I'd been back. Um, since you were with the Dolphins, right? I was with the Dolphins. We played a game up there, and it was a Monday night game, I believe, or at least a Sunday night. It was some kind of a nighttime game. We were playing under the lights, national audience, and it was late in the game. And we had a nine-point lead or something like that going into it. It was a two-possession lead, basically. They had less than a minute, had really uh, used a lot of the clock as the Patriots are marching down to try to get that score, to maybe get an onside kick, to get the possession back. So it's got maybe five, six seconds left in the game. They throw a Hail Mary down to the end zone, incomplete. And the time runs off the clock. So we're celebrating our win. We even did some handshakes at the midfield. Uh, Half the team had already kind of gone into the locker room. The officials come in like five minutes later and it's like, there's an error. There's still one second on the clock. So we got uh. this nine-point lead. What can they do in one second? But it's mandated by the league. we got to finish the game. You have to so get back out there. So you all have to head back out there. So the defense, importantly, is the ones that have to go out there. They have to be on the field. So, of course, they some of them had to get their pads back on and tie their shoes back. So they're all heading back out to the field. Some of us offensive guys, and mostly just me, I was <laughs> like like a 10-year vet. I'm like, 
we got this. I'm guy. not like, doing I'm it. I'm not. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> We're, we travel to New England. There's a long flight home. There's a Monday night game. We're not going to get in until four in the morning. Like, I'm done. The game's over for me. So I basically, I was half undressed. I just threw a T-shirt on, threw a towel around my waist, put my cleats back on, walked out of the tunnel and stood there while they played the final play. And then went back in the locker rooms afterwards. When you say walked out of the tunnel, how far out the tunnel? Like, I was on the field of play. Um, Kevin! <laughs> I did not go back over to my sideline. So, I was a little no, bit out of the like, spectrum. there's people there Everybody could see. see. I actually have a picture that I'll, I'll never show to anyone else. It's <laughs> that some fan had... Was it a white towel? Was it a gray yeah, towel? I don't know. I don't know. It, it, it was, at least it was a big towel. It covered up what it needed to cover up. I was mad, man. We won the game. We're trying to steal our celebration and, and, you know, just for one more play. So I know it's utterly ridiculous. I don't know how much I would have been fined if they would have been doing that kind of thing back then. The league's gotten so much more strict on oh. how these procedures and, and how you're supposed to conduct these games. I'm and amazed. it was it was not good by me. I'm not – it's not my proudest moment, but – I look back, it's, it's pretty dang funny to me. Sometimes when I think that. <laughs> he was straight chilling. He's like, I'm not doing it. <laughs> we had some weird things with uh, New England. When I was with the Oilers, we went up there and we had this thing called Babygate. Um, what? Because, yes, we had a right tackle whose wife went into labor on a Saturday afternoon. And so he missed our flight to New England, right. which we understood. And he was there with his child and, and every, baby and mama were both doing great. But it was their first child. I guess he was feeling particularly uh, like a homebody, wanted to be there. So it, you know, he wasn't making any effort to try to get to the game. And we were trying to get him to um, take a private plane that all the offensive linemen would chip in. And we'd all just fly back together on that plane and, and celebrate the win or whatever. And, celebrate um, the win and the baby, right? And like, I think we were like, we might have been one in two or one in three at the time. We didn't have the best start to our season. So, like, we needed this win. We needed to go to New England and set things right. And so he ends up, long story short, he does not show to the game. I'm starting left tackle. The backup to me is a rookie that they drafted out of Illinois, uh, Brad Hopkins, who went on to be a fantastic mm -hmm. player. But, but at the time. At the time. It's a rookie. And yeah. you, you just don't know. They've gotten him some playing time. He was developing. He was doing really well. But all he's ever known was left tackle. That's what he did in college. That's what he's been doing at training camp. But I was the starter. They bumped me over to right tackle. And I remember thinking, I have no idea the guy I'm playing against. I haven't studied film on him. i got to go out there and – um, produce and it it all worked out it all worked out the funny part of the story was it became baby gate because this huge one of our coaches uh may may god <laughs> he's passed away now his name is bob young uh one of my favorite guys of all time because he was old school tough guy but he comes out after the game and said basically you know this football game these guys on your team it's your brotherhood it's like being in a battle and you don't leave any man in battle. Like, this is war. You need to be there for your teammates. And so back home, you had a lot of guys applauding that. And then you had this other part that was like, so unfair. He wants to be with his first child when it's born. And, they, you know, he wants to be there and all this. So it blew up. I mean, look it up. Google it. Babygate. Ba Babygate. Uh, David Williams was the right tackle's name. And uh, it became a huge thing. And, um you know, so they didn't pay him for that game, and he ended up, mm. you know, starting the next game, and, and everything kind of smoothed over. We actually went on, like, an 11-game winning streak after that. Oh, wow. As, as dysfunctional as that so team. So the lucky baby gate. Because I think that was with <laughs> Buddy Ryan was was our defensive coordinator, and that ended up being that year where he hit Kevin Gilbride on the sidelines. An oh, offensive yeah. coordinator <laughs> hits a de – I mean, the defensive coordinator hits the offensive coordinator right in the face on the sideline. I'm running off the field. I'm like – there's more action going off on the sideline over here than what that just happened on the field. Watch. That's that's amazing. So we had, emotional, man. We had another yeah. uh, player that got in a really bad situation. Ended up um, he killed himself uh, during that. Like that, it was just so many things that year that are starting running back. I think Highsmith went out with like double hamstring injury because he got tackled on the ground and bent forward. So he just like ripped both hammies. Oh. <laughs> oh. So we brought in an eighth round draft choice. Back when we had 12 rounds of draft, it was Gary Brown came in. He was a Penn State running back. And then just he ran for a thousand yards within like eight games or nine games or something like that. So we just had all this crazy stuff. It, uh, I think the NFL Network or ESPN did something on – that season, that 1993 okay. Houston Oilers season. I'm going to have to look this up because that sounds like a, just a gold 
dysfunctional. Yes. But man, we, we you're probably telling that guy, hey, like we went on a 11 game win streak, have another baby week four next year. What do you say? <laughs> well, you know what? And, and what's amazing about it is we, we, we overcame a lot of those distractions. It's just sooner or later it catches up with you. Yeah. And it caught up with us in the playoffs. We got a bye during the playoffs. Uh, had to play the Chiefs that came in. And sure enough, um, Joe Montana was playing with the hey. Chiefs. He was the backup. We knocked the starter out of the game, so he comes in as the backup in the second half and leads them to a win. J- typical Joe Montana. And uh, so, anyway, sorry, that story got longer than no, it needed to be. No, great. <laughs> I, that was, like, that was the highlight of the show for me. I thought that I was very entertained. I'm glad that we were You got Babygate and Kevin in a towel on the field. <laughs> At during. first, when you were saying Babygate, like, I don't know why my head just goes off on these random tangents, but I was thinking it was going to be, like, a baby doll. And for whatever reason, this baby doll has gotten from well, speaking of baby dolls, I did a mis- I had a mistake. We, we had I'm our, cut off. We had our baby. We had our first child, my my sweet precious girl Kayla, and she was really young, infant at the time. And I, I'm just stupid sometimes. Like I, I do these jokes that I should not do. I I was holding her, and and while my wife was doing something, she was busy, so I'm holding her, and I'm like, oh, you know, can you take her back? Well, I'd substituted in a baby doll. For Kayla, <laughs> Kayla was safe. Oh, I had this baby gosh. doll, and I'm walking over to her, and I pretend like Erica, I stumble, oh, and no. I drop the baby on the ground. She looked at it, saw that it was a doll, and she gave me a look that I'd never seen from my wife ever before. And I'd never – Your well, wife is so nice. She does not deserve that. <laughs> well, here's, here's how I didn't learn. Let's fast forward about 13 years. And my daughter and I are in the second floor of our house, and my wife's going off to a movie with her friends. And we have this life-size Barbie doll. So <laughs> I'm sitting there, and the window's open, and we're like, bye, Mom, have a good time. Dad's got this. He's got all the kids. And then I just yell out, no, 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 Kayla! And we throw this baby <laughs> life-size oh, Barbie out on, the window. <laughs> come on. <laughs> Oh, oh my, my gosh. Oh, shoot. Let's go That's back to what are we talking about? We got to talk something <laughs> else, right? I had, a, I had a Barbie doll that straight up my brother, like, put a ball rocket to and blew up, and I was so sad. So people do weird things to dolls, apparently. It's not just my family. <laughs> Anyways, as promised, last week, back to football really quickly. <laughs> no more baby dolls, although this route tree could look like a body, I guess, in some sh- way, shape, or form. But as promised last week, uh, Kevin and Al are going to give you a little breakdown of how the wide receiver route tree works. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we hear all the time, you know, we heard Steve Smith talk about DJ Moore and his ability to run the route tree and how some guys can't run all routes. Some guys are straight liners that can run fly routes or just crossing routes, simple routes. So what it is, obviously, we don't have like you're the, already throwing out all these yeah, terms. Yeah, we what don't, people don't, we don't have the visual for our listeners, uh, you know, to, to take in right now, but you can go Google it. It's an easy Google. Just just Google, yeah, Google Route it right now, right now, while you're listening. That's right. Mm-hmm. Follow along. So there get it in front of are you. nine routes, and you can see uh, most of the inward breaking routes. So if you're an outside receiver, if it's breaking in over the, the ball, those are going to be even numbers. And if it's going to be breaking out away from the ball or towards the sideline, those are going to be uh, the odd numbered route. So you have a, it goes one to two, and the, the smaller the number, the shorter the route. And you get to a nine route, which everybody loves and knows. That's just a, a fade, a fly route, a go. So the routes obviously oh, have that's a tr- numbers. That's my go route. Yep, they have numbers, but they also have names. So a one is probably like a little three-yard quick out, and, and that's a one slant inward breaking route and so on and so forth you can go on and and i think stormy you talked about it last week with some of the terminology once you understand what those things mean it becomes so simple like a corner route or a seven route which are the same a seven route is shaped like the number seven so you're going to go up the field 10 12 yards and you're going to break kind of towards the the pylon towards the corner corner. of the field (laughs) yeah and a post obviously same looking route but in the obvious opposite direction over the ball, inward route, and that's a, a eight or a post route. You're running towards the goal pole. So those things make a lot of sense. And what wide receivers go through, and we saw this um, famously uh, with Peyton Manning and his wide receiving crew, they would go go out on the field early, and we see it 
today um, with a lot of quarterbacks and receivers, and they would just run this route tree. They would run it four, five, ten times to kind of get oiled up on what what they're going to do and uh, the chemistry and the timing of those throws because different wide receivers with different speeds are going to run these routes with different timing, and that's super important for a, a quarterback and a wide receiver to get on that same page. And I think what's important is, you know, as they're running this route tree, it's it's obviously they're they're moving one direction in a straight line and then they're planting a foot and cutting back to another direction. Now, it could be an easy cut where they're going towards the post where it's a nice 45-degree angle. You're going towards the goal post. It could be, you know, the corner route, 45-degree. Um, but then some of the tougher ones is the curl. That's a four route where you're coming back in towards the quarterback you have to have a sharp cut, stop your momentum immediately, get back to run a real crisp route because that's how you get separation from a defensive how back. How much do you come back on that? How many yards? Usually you don't, you don't quit. I mean, it's usually just a couple-yard break, and that ball should be there. Ball's on top of you, yeah. Okay. But you don't sit and wait, um, if, especially if it's man coverage. You know, just keep going towards that quarterback. And really one of the hardest throws is that uh, the comeback, which is – basically could run about 12 to 13 yards or whatever that offense is set up to be. You make your cut 45-degree angle back out to the sidelines. So you're actually moving away from the quarterback. So that's a long throw for that cornerback. And then, I mean, for the quarterback, and then getting out there is making sure you save enough space on the sideline there that you're not getting uh, pushed out of bounds. Um, some of the tweaks that come off of this, because this is very simple when you look at it, but you could run a skinny post. So don't hit a 45-degree angle. Hit that thing about 25 degrees. Okay. So it's just a slight inside move, um, and sometimes it's the way they're playing the defense. Are they in zone? Are they in man? Um, sometimes with you know just going a, a fade route where it's a straight nine, where it's just a go, like just mm -hmm. go down there deep. Sometimes you know these guys, these good cornerbacks, can push you wide, push you wide, push you wide, and you get towards the sideline, you have no room to catch the ball, and so you, you know, a lot of yeah, coordinators, they're, using the as they're a like free keep, defenseman, right? keep it straight, keep it straight, do not let them press you off your route. Um, because that gives you the best chance to be able to have separation. That if that ball comes, you can adjust off of it to get the reception. So, you know, when you guys look up the route tree and you're looking at it, it'll make a lot of sense in terms of the simplicity of, you know, usually if it's a, an even number, you're cutting back in towards the quarterback, um, whether it's downfield or back at them. If it's an odd number, you're cutting away from the quarterback and you're going towards the sideline or deeper towards the, the corner of the end zone. Um, that's some of the simple stuff, but then they tweak so many things off there, like the X-Clown, you know, it's it's a move, and so, then it's okay, a little a of, head shake. Everybody, everybody knows what uh, the name X Clown. Everybody knows it's like so, this huge play. Break it down for us. Well, basically, you know, X Clown is Steve's running this route straight downfield. He makes a cut to the inside, and then there was just a subtle little move that he made that tricked the safety and got him believing it was one route when it was really another. Clowned him. Clowned him. And then that's what created the space and got him so wide open. And you don't expect that against a, an experienced player like Jason Seahorn, who was covering him on that. But those are the subtle things that that's why Peyton, uh, Peyton Manning goes out and walks all those routes, because it's the subtle things. They work off of those for that one time that you may strike gold in a game. And for the Panthers in that day uh, versus the Rams, you watch his route. He was doing a, a, you know, a basic route kind of up the field and in, but it was the subtle little move he did off of that, the timing off of it, that Jake knew it, they knew how to do it, they had worked on it, um, had tried it in, I think, a game before, but missed on it, but this time connected, and, um, I mean, 69 yards later, it yeah. was a double overtime win for the Panthers. Yeah, so many subtleties. I mean, they're crossing routes and whip routes and uh, wheel routes and shake routes, the option route we see from Christian McCaffrey. I mean, you can go on and on, but that's the skeleton. When you look at it, that's the skeleton of the route tree what all those uh, all those routes are, are based off of. And they put those in different combinations to full man coverage, zone coverage, it can be cover two, three, man beaters. Are, there's so many things. Uh, I have one experience running a route in the NFL, what? and it happens to be against the New England Patriots. I know you guys are looking at me like defensive end running a route. Well, early in my rookie year, down uh, with the Jacksonville Jaguars, I, I played a little, uh, both ways. I paid, played tight end. I was a receiver coming out of high school going to University of Maryland, and we were down a guy, and I could run. I had good hands. I can catch, believe it or not. Four <laughs> career interceptions. You can Google that too. And uh, I caught just a little a hook route, right, just a check down over the center. 
and I got a pass. Uh, not sure, I don't think it was Donovan McNabb. It might have been Doug Peterson, who I was a teammate of, uh, was yeah. actually with the Eagles now that I think about it. And I caught the pass. I caught it. It was about five-yard game, but Teddy Bruschi hit me so hard in the back, <laughs> I never ran another route again. The next time they called me down in the Eagles practice for one-on-ones, I refused. It can cut me, but I don't want to get hit. I want to be the hammer, not the nail. So that's my one experience as a pass catcher in the NFL. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, let's quickly, just really fast, uh, this next preseason game, obviously it's notorious for no starters really playing at all, but for those backups, every snap counts. Every snap means something because this is the time when the roster gets broken down to that, that final grouping that's going to be there in the regular season. What does this mean for each one of those young players trying to make a roster spot? Man, it's 90 guys going to 53. And you can add another 10 for the practice squad. Yes. So you're basically 90 down to 63. That's 27 guys whose dreams are going to be gone. Hopefully they get picked up by another team. But that's the stakes that they are right now. And if you look at this Panthers roster, they are they are set at all their starting positions. You know, they I think they have little tweaks that they may work out who's going to be the, the exact guy. But, I mean, it's really like 10 spots I think these guys are going for. And, and, and then how's it work out with – if Graham Gano can't go, you still want to keep him on your roster. Do you keep Joey Sly? That means maybe one less receiver. Does that mean Terry Godwin doesn't make the roster, or does he still make it because of his value as a, a punt and kick returner? And then there's a maybe a veteran wide receiver that's cut. How does it shake out with the running backs? Do you go with a, a young guy uh, tandem back there with, with Scarlett and, and Bonifin? You know, does that leave Cap, Cameron R.'s pain out of the mix? Um, there's a lot of positions that you can go through. Uh, there's going to be a couple good defensive linemen cut. Yeah, uh, you know it's it's, it's the battles. cap day numbers game. We all play it every year. You know you're going to keep five or six receivers. You're going to keep two or three quarterbacks, and we we do it every year when we try to get to that 53. The 53 is what's important right now. Those are the active roster guys. Um, that practice squad. Those eight to ten guys will be decided on after all this is done. But man, it's a tense time, and they'll go out there and they'll give it all they have, and and dreams are right there. I mean, they can taste it they got they have it in their hands can you be a guy that will make a difference the pop off, off on that screen and I was able to do it for 10 years on special teams I could play defense could rush the quarterback but my ability with my size and speed to run down on kickoffs made the difference for 10 seasons to keep me in there by a thread but I I was able to do it so these guys I'm excited to see it it's not my favorite preseason game it's not going to be pretty it never is that last preseason game but you're going to watch some guys really make a name for themselves and open that door get into the NFL and find a way to stick one interesting note on rosters uh, my early days with the Houston Oilers we ran a run and shoot four wide receivers were on the field at all times it's kind of a precursor to what the spread offense is now but four wide receivers at all times we kept eight receivers on our roster however we did not have one single tight end on the roster nor a fullback so our offense was just comprised of receivers, quarterback, linemen, and a few running backs. That's that's the new wave offense is moving <laughs> in that direction. <laughs> Guys like Devlin for the Patriots and, and Alex Armour, they were coming extinct. Those fullbacks aren't on a lot of NFL rosters but, anymore. Well, and, But you look at the Patriots one with it. Big tight end package, Devlin, and what they did, they, they really helped out Brady. It wasn't, it wasn't his arm so much those last playoff games that, that – produce these big wins he you know big moments he came up mm -hmm. when he needed to but um I don't know maybe it's coming back in style yeah. a little bit uh, <laughs> old school football you never know what we're gonna see this week especially when the Steelers come to town for the final preseason game of the Panthers season some dreams will come true some dreams will be dashed who will it be we'll see <laughs> <laughs> that is all for this edition of the Carolina line with Al Wallace and Kevin Donnelly I'm Stormy Tony. make sure to tune in to us every Tuesday subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify or wherever your local podcasts are sold and make sure you give us a review give us some five stars if you think we're five stars great we're review come on people you know you like us yes Great show. Thank you, Stormy.